And today's lesson is entitled Three Strikes. What happens after three strikes? You're out. That's it. Jesus is going to judge the, le- the leaders of Israel uh, about how they have done uh, with the leadership that they've been giving. Were, given. were they good stewards of it? Were they poor stewards of it? Well, Jesus has some pretty, uh, pretty hardcore responses to them that, as a matter of fact, I would deem this the most extreme hostile words of Jesus ever recorded. And so it's going to be a tough day for the the religious leaders of the day. Um, For us, though, we have to be listening to it, too, because I want to begin with this concept of leadership. First thing is this. Every one of us are leaders. Y'all understand that? If you're a parent, you're a leader. Number one, uh, you have no choice in the matter. You're going to affect your kids. If you are, if you work in a scenario where someone is underneath you in any way, shape or form, you're automatically a leader. A lot of people don't want to be leaders. Like you think about the, some of the uh, really famous people in the world, whether they're movie stars or athletes, and they say, well, I don't want to be a role model. Too bad. You are. It doesn't matter whether you want to or not. You're going to be affecting people. As a matter of fact, look at the quote up there on the top of your handout sheet. Uh, it's from a guy named Anonymous, right? And A very simple quote, a leader leads by example, whether he intends to or not. So you're going to lead. It's just whether or not you're going to be a good leader or a poor leader. But we're all leaders. If you have friends and you influence them in any way, you're automatically a leader. So we can either look over and point fingers and say, oh, all those guys that were the leaders of Israel, they're terrible. And how could they have been like that? I think we might need to also point the fingers at ourselves and say, well, wait a second. What kind of leaders are we in our own home? What kind of leaders are we in the church today? What kind of leaders are we uh, in our workplace? Now, obviously, as a pastor, as the primary shepherd of this congregation, I'm going to take a lot of hits. And you know what? I should. It just goes with the territory. Um, and I believe that it is a responsibility of all spiritual leaders not to abuse that authority. So, yes, I would hope that you hold a very high bar in terms of how I treat you. I need to be treating you with love and with kindness. Now, there's going to be times that I'm going to be saying rough things to you. Great leaders sometimes make a lot of people angry, and that's something that's going to happen. That's just a fact of life. And unfortunately, everybody loves to crucify a good leader. Uh, they're easy to take shots at. They're easy to throw things at. You know what I'm saying? They're up there on that pedestal that people put them on. And unfortunately, a lot of that is done is unfair is. Well, look at the quote in front of you by William Hazlitt. He said he is a hypocrite who professes what he does not believe, not he who does not practice all he wishes or approves. Okay, if you're looking for a perfect leader, you're not going to find one, not a human one. That's not going to happen. Jesus was the last fully human, perfect leader that ever walked this earth. It ain't going to be me. It's certainly not going to be anyone else. So there's no way we're all going to let you down. But when we fail to live up to the status of Jesus, that's just human nature. That I don't believe is what we should be completely blamed or crucified for. But I do believe there should be a hard element brought against us if we are damaging other people and we're living a hypocritical lifestyle. Now, if I only was able to preach to you what I have nailed down, we'd have about three sermons, okay? I just rotate them all throughout the year, and we certainly wouldn't talk about the Bible, because that would ruin everything. So, I obviously am not living up to everything you see here in Scripture. 
But that doesn't make me a hypocrite. It just makes me that I'm striving just like you are. I'm still trying to reach up and become more Christ-like. Just because I'm a pastor doesn't make me any different than anybody else. I just need us to realize that when Jesus blasts these leaders, it's not for just a personal you let me down thing. This is a you took your authority and you damaged people, you abused people, you harmed people. You were supposed to bring the Messiah to the people and you blocked them out from it. And for that, you will have judgment. Jesus is going to get real tense about that issue. Would you turn with me to Matthew 23? Matthew 23, verse 1. Uh, it's page 700 in the Bibles that were handed to you. It should make it a little bit easier. Matthew chapter 23, verse 1. Now, like I normally do, whenever I'm talking through uh, or teaching through a gospel, I'm going to combine the accounts. Okay? So if Luke and Mark or John comment on it, I'm going to insert their comments into the text. So wherever I deviate from what you're reading in front of you, I'm quoting Mark or Luke or John. Okay? Some of you have asked, uh, Lance, I'd love to get uh, that, pat- that book that you're reading from that combines all the accounts. There isn't one, okay? I'm doing that, all right? So you can blame me if it's wrong, okay? I didn't get that from a book. I've got to go do that in research, and it's a little bit harder than you might imagine. Anyway, moving on. We begin this concept about Jesus blasting a certain group of people called the teachers of the law. But before we dive into the word, I believe that all this stuff, if we're really going to get out of it, what God wants us to get out of it, it's going to be spiritually discerned. So let's just pray for the word. All right. Heavenly Father, we come to your word humbly and I don't know, begging you, Lord, would you share with us what we got to know that, Lord, we want to be changed. We want to be your generation. We want to be your kids. We certainly want to be what you designed us to be. And Lord, I know that that truth partially lives right here in this word. And Lord, we need to not just see it as academics. We've got to see it as life changing. So Lord, would you change our hearts today? In your name we pray. Amen. It begins like this. Then while all the people were listening as he taught, Jesus said to the crowds and his disciples. Let me pause right there. If you read it in Luke... Luke actually teaches on this material twice, once at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, once at the end. But the time when he teaches this almost identical verbatim, guess where he teaches it? He teaches it at a Pharisee's house for dinner. Why is that weird? Because he's going to blast the Pharisees for the next 45 minutes. So imagine you going to a CEO's house of the top of America and walking in and spending all dinner long blasting America corporate and talking about how all CEOs are bogus. Now, you wouldn't get received real well, but Jesus wasn't out there trying to make better PR. He was trying to be very straightforward on what they had or had not done for the nation of Israel. So he's going to come across strong. So he said it this way. Watch out for the teachers of the law. Now, who are the teachers of the law? Um, you're going to hear uh, similar phrases used. They're actually synonymous or relatively synonymous. Teachers of the law, experts of the law scribes and lawyers. They're all in scripture and you will hear them all mentioned. They're the same group of people. And what they are, are uh, guys that are excellent in knowing not only the Old Testament law, but the traditional law that was added on. 
Okay, so they would know this stuff backwards and forwards. They would be able to call out. You would cite something and they would be able to throw it back at you and say, well, that correlates with this. And they knew this stuff backwards and forwards. That's one crew. The other crew that he's going to blast are the Pharisees. Now, some of them are experts in the law, but they're a different group. They're the ones that want to live out the law, both oral tradition and written, to the nth degree. There is a group of people, a sect of people in Judaism that were extreme to live out every letter of the law in a legalistic fashion. So you've got the experts that know it and the guys that live it. Both those guys are going to get blasted by Jesus. Watch out for teachers of the law. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat, so you must obey them and do everything they tell you. Pause. That seems weird. He never seems to tell you to do what the Pharisees say. What's he talking about? And what's Moses' seat? Okay. Well, let's kind of sort this one out. First of all, who's Moses? What's he famous for? God gave him two tablets, which were Ten Commandments, right? So God, when he wanted to tell the nation of Israel and literally the world what he expected of mankind, he handed it to Moses. Well, then Moses handed it off to who? His protege named Joshua. Joshua then led the, the Israelites in the promised land and he handed it off to the elders of the people. The elders of the people then in turn gave it to the prophets and it carried on down through the centuries and it was given to the current leaders of Israel, which are who? the Pharisees and the experts in the law. So literally, if you track it down through, the big dogs are supposed to be giving the people what God expects of them. He's supposed to be responsible for handing the law out and saying, God loves this. God hates this. That's their job. In that way, they sit in Moses' seat as the authority of Israel. Those that have the responsibility and those that have the privilege, right? But there's also something else that's rather interesting. Um, one of our elders got back from Israel a couple of years ago, Jay Evans, and, and he went to Chorazin. And in Chorazin, they have in the synagogue one of the seats that the, that the leaders used to teach from. And guess what it's called? It's called Moses' seat. So you go into the synagogue, there's literally a chair. And on that chair, it's called Moses' seat. And whenever you're ready to teach from the law, you're supposed to go and sit down in Moses' seat and start teaching the law. So it's even a literal seat that they could sit in. So whether you want to look at it literal or figurative, the same idea is that they're in charge. So he said, great, insofar as they teach accurately, insofar as they're sharing the law of God, yeah, you've got to do what they say because he's telling you what I want. But then look at the next line. This is the major problem. But what? But do not do what they do, for they do not Practice what they preach. That's where we get the phrase from. So every time you hear that in society, we ripped it right out of Scripture. You need to do what they tell you in Scripture, but you don't mimic their lifestyle. They do not practice what they preach. And that is at the heart of the problem here. He moves on. Woe to you Pharisees, Luke adds, because you are like unmarked graves, which men walk over without knowing it. Now, what does that mean? Y'all remember a while back when we were talking in Matthew about clean and unclean? Everybody remember all that stuff? There are certain things that ritually make you unclean to the Jewish people. They become unfit for what? For worshiping God in the temple, unfit for serving God. And they had to go through cleansing rituals to get back clean. And there's unclean animals and there was unclean things. Well, one of the major things that causes you to be unclean is death. 
You can't touch a dead animal. You can't touch a grave. You can't touch a dead body, right? Well, what happens if you're walking around and you walk over this piece of land and it's an unmarked grave? You just touched what? A grave. Now you're unclean. But what if you didn't know? There's no marking on it. That's what he just said. It's like hanging out with the Pharisees. Hanging out with these guys, you ignorantly are being made unclean. You're ignorantly being made unfit to be with God and do ministry with God. And you have no idea. It's just like you're walking along and you just walked across something that made you unclean. You didn't know it. That's what it's like hanging out with these guys. So now you can see why they get a little bit tense with Jesus. One of the experts in the law answered him. He said, teacher, when you say these things, you insult us. (laughs) He's like, really? Did that hurt? Smack. He hits him again. He said, he said, oh, you too, experts in the law. Woe to you because you load people down with burdens they can hardly carry. You tie up heavy loads and put them on men's shoulders. But you yourselves are not willing to lift one finger to move them. What does he mean? Well, y'all realize when they put oral tradition on the same par as written scripture, they added thousands of rules. They loaded people down to such a huge degree that they can't even see the Messiah. When you are so loaded down with rules and regulations, there's no grace. There's no freedom. There's no mercy. There's no life. He said, you're killing the people. You're giving them all this judgment. You're giving them all this. God's mad at you for this. God's mad at you for that. You violated this. You violated that. You are so heavy on the people, but you do nothing to lift off the burden. Do great leaders have to say you are in violation of God's will? Do great leaders have to say you're going to hell? Do great leaders have to say that? Absolutely they do. Will I say that? You better believe I'll say that. But what do excellent leaders do next? You then say, and what will we do about it? Do you understand what I'm saying? You enter into their pain and show them the way. That is what we must do. If you come to me and you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, I am going to tell you very straightforward and very honest what is awaiting you. And my next phrase is, but I have good news for you because that is loving that is kind even if you're in a family let's say you're a dad you're a mom and you got to tell your kids i am disappointed in you you've absolutely violated the rules what's your next job now what are we going to do to make sure that doesn't happen again how can i love you and reaffirm my love for you and let you know that that does not change how i care about you do you reaffirm people that you throw burdens on These guys didn't all the leaders of Israel. All they talk about is how mad God was all the time. Jesus came to bring good news. And the good news was I did all the heavy lifting. I provided a way. That is what great leaders need to share. You understand what I'm saying? We move on. He says this. He said, my other problem is everything they do, these leaders do, is done for men to see. They like to walk around in flowing robes, right? You see that? That's this idea that uh, they're walking around with a big flourish and trying to look all fancy. And this is not this is not saying that robes are bad. Okay, you all understand that in the Catholic church. The guy's got the white collar, right? That's actually really, really helpful because if you have a need and you want someone to share with you some wisdom, you go find the guy in the white collar. That's, that's just helpful. That's a, a little marking that says, oh, okay, I got to go find out who this guy is that can help me out. 
There's nothing wrong with that. And in a lot of denominations like Episcopalian and other denominations, they'll wear a robe. There's nothing wrong with wearing a robe. Then you go, okay, that's the preaching guy. Okay, I got to go ask him for some assistance or what have you. But when you start dressing like Elton John, and all of a sudden you got this, the big glittery glasses, and then every time you move, there's bling hitting people in the face. And I mean, when you start doing that kind of showy stuff, everyone, haven't we moved a little further? Haven't we moved a little beyond? And now all of a sudden you start going, what, is, what are you doing? What are you, what are you wearing? What is that all about? And it's all about, look at me, I'm extravagant, I'm amazing. That's not what we're here for. But that's what they were doing. Then look at the next one. This will this one will get you. You ready? And they make their phylacteries wide. How are your phylacteries doing? You all right? Everybody got those narrow phylacteries? Everyone's like, shoot, I don't know if mine's wide or not. I have no idea. If I had a good friend, he would tell me if my phylactery's wide. Is my phylactery wide? All right, and everybody's asking each other, right? Okay, what's a phylactery? Okay, here's the thing. It's a leather box. And here's how it worked. In the Old Testament, God gave a command. And he said, I want you to write God's commands upon your foreheads. Now, what does he mean? It's called memorizing, all right? Not real hard to figure out. Okay, you're supposed to memorize God's commands. Oh, no, we got to take everything literally. So they decide to say, I want God's law upon my head. Well, the only way to get it on your head is to make a little leather pouch. Now, they got one on their arm, one on their forehead, and they do it only when they pray. So when they go into prayer, they got to strap on this enormous box on their forehead and strap it onto their arm. The one on the arm has one compartment little scroll on the scroll is written for Old Testament scriptures. They have that slipped down inside there, right? It's God's commands. Same scriptures are written on four scrolls in four compartments for the one on your head. So you got these black straps holding this thing on. They made their box enormous. Okay, so it's not just a little baby box that you got on your head, like a matchbox. You got this big old Tonka truck looking big old box right hanging out of your head. He's like, why do we got to make the box so big? What is wrong with you people? Okay, you're already doing the dumb box thing. Why can't you just make the box small? Okay, do we really need to go, I'm in prayer, (laughs) right? And everyone's like, whoa, all right, I guess you're in prayer. I get it. That's cool. All right. The other thing is they what? They make their tassels on their garments long. All right. Nothing wrong with tassels on your garments. As a matter of fact, Jesus wore tassels on his garments. Whenever you see people trying to cling to the robe of Jesus, remember the lady that was hemorrhaging for all those years? She tried to reach out and grab his robe. She's trying to grab his tassels. Um, Every Jew was required on the four corners of his garment uh, to wear tassels. That's not the problem. The problem is, why do they got to be all flowy? Why do they got to be really long? Why do they why is everything for show? If you just wear the tassels, just wear normal tassels. Can we move on? They were supposed to remind the Israelites of the commands of God. But now they've become something selfish about a kingdom of a human being. He moved on. Uh, Mark adds this. They devour widows houses and for a show they make lengthy prayers. That's the whole I'm so righteous. Let me go on and on and on. That's that's not necessary. What does it mean they devour widows' houses? Well, it's an awful lot like our late night TV, right? Which is what? You prey on the women that are all by themselves and you start saying things like, I don't make a wage, so I respond, I reply, uh, or I live on only donations. So if I don't, if I'm not there for you, who's ever going to take care of you? I'm your only spiritual guide. You need to give me all the money that you have. You know, you know these guys that I'm talking about? These bogus alleged ministries that are out there and they're stealing from people. They're the snake oil salesmen, those kind of guys. That was going on all the time back here. And Jesus said what? 
such men will be punished most severely. That's going to be a pretty extreme deal. I don't want to be one of those guys showing up and talking to Jesus about that. You do not mess with the widows of this world. That is God's family. He says he is a husband to the widow and a father to the fatherless. You do not mess on his territory. You understand what I'm saying? And he said this, they love the place of honor at banquets, the most important seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted in the marketplaces and to have men call them rabbi. Okay. There's nothing wrong with a leader wanting to be appreciated. You guys, I have never heard of a congregation like this congregation that you encourage me daily. Literally, I am constantly encouraged. And you know what? I love it. I love it when you guys come up and go, hey, I love your ministry in the word. I love how you teach. When you tell me that, guess what I'm going to tell you? Hey, thanks. Okay, that's what I'm going to tell you. Why? Because I know what you're saying. You're saying, listen, God does all the power. He does all the change in my life. But I appreciate you putting forth the effort. That, that's really cool. I think that's nice for you to say so. And so I'm going to say thanks, right? I'm not going to go, well, it's all God. <laughs> and if you'll excuse me, I have to go pray. <laughs> okay. Okay. I'm not, no, I'm just going to say thanks. I know what you meant. Okay. I totally get that. But if all of a sudden you, you started realizing I kept hunting everyone down and going, what'd you think of the sermon? I thought it was pretty awesome. <laughs> okay. Then there's a problem, right? Then you're going, all right, dude, something's wrong with you. Okay. And if I, you know, I'm constantly doing that kind of stuff. And, and it's, it's almost like you guys, whenever I'm going to walk up, make sure that there's some type of fanfare, make sure that every time I throw open the door, every time I walk in, you know, that kind of stuff, you're going, come on, you're full of yourself. Knock it off. All right. It's not acceptable. He said in verse eight, but you're not to be called a rabbi for you only have one master and you're all brothers. Do not call anyone on earth father for you have one father. He's in heaven, nor Are you to be called teacher for you have one teacher, the Christ, the greatest among you will be your servant for whoever exalts himself will be humbled. Whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Now, what does he mean? Is he really against titles? Should I not be called pastor? Uh, Should none of you that have sons, should you ever be called fathers? What is he against title? No, I don't believe he is. And here's why. If he did mean that, then Paul, the apostles in total violation, because he said to Timothy, I am your spiritual father. I mean, he used the same exact terms that are getting blown out here. So either Paul didn't get it, which I doubt, or he means something else. Um, here's what I believe he means. What does father really mean? If you call someone your father, they gave you life. They are the fountain from which you came from. You never call a human being your spiritual life giver. There is only one life giver and his name is Jesus Christ. You never give that to a person. No human being saved you. Don't act like it. Don't live like it. You know, a lot of times we get really caught up in teachers. We get this whole celebrity status thing going and we get really pumped up. This guy on podcast, this guy writes books. This guy's amazing on the radio. You know what? They are amazing, but they didn't save you. Put it in proper perspective. I mean, yeah, they're, they're awesome and there's nothing wrong with appreciating them. But the idea is they aren't Jesus and they don't deserve equal billing as Jesus. I never will deserve that title ever. Jesus stands alone. See what I'm saying? And then he moved on. and He said, you know what? Don't call other people teacher in the sense that, oh, he's my only connection to God. Unless he speaks, I can't hear God speak. It's baloney. 
We live in a world where Jesus, by the blood of the cross, made access to the Father possible. We can go direct. We do not need another human being to be our mediator. Jesus gave us a way. And we can confidently walk into our Father and say, Father, I have a need. Father, I love you. And we can talk to Him directly. He moves on and He says this, Woe to you! Teachers of the law and you Pharisees, you hypocrites. Now he's going to say that a lot. What's a hypocrite? It's an actor. It means a pretender, somebody that puts on a mask. Okay, so he said, all you play in this role, pretending to be something that you're not, knock it off. You Pharisees, you hypocrites, woe to you experts in the law because you have taken away the key to knowledge, Luke said. Matthew said, you shut the kingdom of heaven in men's faces. You yourselves don't enter, nor will you let those enter, but have hindered those who are trying to. What's his point? Man, you put so many rules and regulations that were extra that you've completely shut out the way to get to me. Not only that, but how do you think Israel's going to respond to me as their Messiah when you are so anti-Christ? They're looking to you, man. They're looking to you to say, what do I do with this Jesus guy? And what do you do? You're going to kill me. I'm the rightful king. I have shown up in Jerusalem as your Messiah and Savior, and yet the leadership will not acknowledge me. You are making it harder for the people. You are to pave the way and make it easier for the people. You are to show them who I am, but you won't. You reject me. You dishonor me. You spit in my face. You strike me, and you will crucify me. How is anyone supposed to find me with you at the helm? That's his challenge. He moves on and he says this. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You travel over land and sea to win a single convert. And when he becomes one, you make him twice the son of hell that you are. Y'all understand why the Pharisees don't like Jesus? Oh, y'all, this is rough. What does he mean? You're going to hell and everyone that you leave is going to hell too. Knock it off. You're not showing them the way to life. There's only way to life. I, Jesus said, am the way, the truth, and the life. And when you go a different route, you are casting all of your followers, like lemmings, into the pit of hell. Woe to you, you blind guides. Now that means you have no idea where you're going. Why are you leading other people? You're totally clueless. Woe to you, you blind guides, if you say, quote, if anyone swears by the temple, it means nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he's bound by his oath. You blind fools, what's greater, the gold or the temple that makes the gold sacred? You also say, quote, if anyone swears by the altar, it means nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift on it, oh, he's bound by his oath. You blind men, what's greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? What's he saying? He's saying you guys have this deception thing down to the nth degree. You got it down to an exact science. and You're like a bunch of little kids on the playground. You're all going, I totally promise. Oh, I was crossing my fingers. That's what you're doing. Because they did. This is how they would do it. They would say, I swear to you by the altar of the temple. I will not dishonor you. They turn around, they dishonor him. They go, what'd you do that for? I didn't swear by the gift on the altar. Oh, what's up? I got you on that one. Okay. You don't do that. Okay. Really leaders are out there manipulating people and they're deceiving and they're trying to lie and drag God's name into it. No, you don't do that. 
So Jesus said, look, you're constantly dragging God's name into it. Verse 20. Therefore, he who swears by the altar swears by it and everything on it. If you swear by the temple, you swear by it and the one who dwells in it. If you swear by heaven, you swear by God's throne and the one who sits on it. In other words, I'm always a part of this. Stop manipulating people in my name. I will not stand for it. And he literally is bringing the book to a close of saying, your leadership is done. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, your mint, your dill, your cumin, your rue, and other kinds of garden herbs. But you have neglected the more important matters of the law. You neglect justice, mercy, faithfulness, and the love of God. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. In other words... I can't believe how extreme you guys are in your tithe when you're not even loving. And what does he mean by the tithing of the garden garden herbs? Listen, this is how extreme they were. There is a verse in the Old Testament that demands that you give a tenth of all the produce of your land. Well, they cooked at home, okay? How many of you are really into cooking? Anybody really into cooking? Raise your hand. Okay, a a good amount of you. Now, you all realize that a recipe can call for parsley, So you can either buy parsley flakes that are from the store or you can get fresh parsley and it makes a difference, right? Well, what they would do is they would grow all their own little spices. So they would grow a little parsley this, they grow this and they literally have it in small little um, pots in their house. So you could put it in your windowsill and you'd water it and you only needed enough just to make that particular recipe. So they're little tiny, tiny amounts. The rest of you ever been to Jamba Juice and seen the little wheatgrass things? You ever seen those? Looks like little tiny lawns. Okay, right? And so you're like, oh, that's such a nicely manicured little baby lawn. Okay, people actually eat it. I know, weird. Okay, so anyway, well, you would imagine you got little baby wheatgrass guy, right? And you go through with a little tiny scissors and cut out 10%. Okay, you're cutting it out and you put it in your hand and you go through your spice rack. A little bit of marjoram, a little bit of cinnamon, a little bit of... Okay, that's what they're doing and they're bringing that to the temple. He's like, what am I supposed to do with that? They're like, it's 10%. I I honor God with everything that I have. Jesus said, really? You're really good at that. How come you're still a loser? What is wrong with you? You walk around. You're horrible to people. You're abusive. You're damaging. There's no mercy. There's no justice. There's no law with you. All you have is garbage. You're selfish and you're ruining everybody. You know what? How about working on the big stuff? I appreciate your little wheatgrass. But you know what? I'd really appreciate it if you love your neighbor. That'd be fantastic. That's why Jesus is angry. Apparently, so am I. (laughs) Really don't know why, but that's okay. He said, you blind guides, you strain out a gnat, but you swallow a camel. What do they mean? Well, literally, both these are unclean animals. If you eat either one of these, it's unclean. Okay, so sorry, guys. I know you're all going to go on a big camel hunting expedition later, but it's unclean if you're a Jew. So here's the deal. So is a gnat. A gnat is an unclean animal, so you can't eat gnats. All right, darn. Okay, but here's the problem. When you're out there in the ancient world, you don't have a lot of lids, so you got stuff flying in your drinks all the time, okay? Well, they're so freaked out that you're going to drink a gnat that flew into your little wine bottle that they would pour their wine through gauze. So they'd strain it out. Oh, I'm never going to dishonor God by eating anything unclean. I will strain all my drinks and just so in case there's a gnat in there. He's like, oh. you're sitting there straining out a gnat and you're shoving a big old camel in your face. What are you doing? I mean, you're just being absurd. You're majoring in the silliest little things. 
Why can't we just do what I ask you to do? What do I desire? Man, I desire you to walk justly, to love mercy. You know what I'm saying? To walk humbly with your God. That's what I want. Not interested in all this. Oh, strain this. Okay. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside they're full of greed, wickedness, and self-indulgence. You foolish people. Did not the one who made the outside make the inside also? You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the dish, then the outside will be clean. Give what is inside the dish to the poor, and everything will be clean for you. Do you guys understand how many rules they had about washing dishes? This is so awkward. You go through and you study this stuff, and you're thinking, really? I mean, everything that had a little baby rim to it, if it was an earthenware vessel after it was used, it had to be destroyed. And then this one, you had to wash it a certain way and then richly cleanse it and do all this stuff. All for dishes. You thought that when you did dishes at home, it was bad. Try being the husband or wife of a Pharisee, right? Brutal. Okay, I mean, they're doing this all this clean, clean, clean the whole time. They're still full of garbage. Then he said this. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You're like whitewashed tombs. You look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside, you're full of dead man's bones and everything unclean. In the same way, you on the outside appear as righteous, but on the inside, you're full of hypocrisy and wickedness. They would clean the tombs two time for two different reasons, I should say. The first one is that if it was someone of honor, let's say it's a family member or it was a famous person, they would whitewash. They would clean and paint new all the tombstones so it would glimmer and shine as an honor. That's one reason. The other reason that they would go through is that, remember, you become unclean if you step on a grave, right? Well, in the springtime, everyone starts prepping for the massive feast where all the pilgrims come from everywhere. Well, when the roads are jammed, most of the cemeteries are right along the roadside. Well, what if you're all jammed on the road and someone pushes you off the road and you stumble over onto a tomb? Well, now you're unfit for festival. So they would whitewash in the spring. They'd spruce up all the tombs along the roadways so that everyone would have a big beacon, a big caution sign. Don't step here. Does that make sense? He said, that's what you are. Oh, you look so awesome on the outside. Oh, look, is that a brand new coat of paint on your garbage? Oh, look at that. You're fantastic. You look super smug and self-righteous on the outside. Guess what? You're still dead and going to hell. I mean, this is rough, rough stuff from Jesus. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You build tombs for the prophets and you decorate the graves of the righteous. But it was your forefathers who killed them. You testify, you approve of what your forefathers did. They kill the prophets, you build their tombs. Yet you say, if we lived in the days of our forefather, we'd never have taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. But you testify against yourselves that you're the descendants of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of the sin of your forefathers, you snakes, you brood of vipers. How will you escape being condemned to hell? What he was saying is everyone's going, oh, we would never have killed the prophets. He said, you're plotting my death. I'm going to die in about four days. Are you kidding me? Nothing's changed. Of course you're going to kill the prophets. You're planning it right now. You're the same hearts that were the problem last time. The same people you denounce, you're acting just like them. There's no freedom for you. Because of this, God in his wisdom, Luke said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill and others they will persecute. Jesus said in Matthew, therefore, I am sending you prophets and wise men and teachers. Some of them you will kill and crucify. Others you will flog in your synagogues and pursue from town to town. 
Therefore, this generation will be held responsible upon you will come all the righteous blood of all the prophets that have been shed on earth since the beginning of the world from the blood of the righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the temple sanctuary and the altar. I tell you the truth, all this will come upon this generation. Yes, I tell you, this generation will be held responsible for it all. Now, what did he just say? He said, you've always killed the messengers. And I'm going to hold you responsible for all of it. Jerusalem, you are about to be judged. Was he serious? Was he literal? Yeah. Within 35 years, AD 70 hit, Rome sacked Jerusalem and tore apart all the leadership and shut them down. So yes, it was a literal judgment coming upon the people. Why now? You guys remember last time we met last week? We told the parable of the king who went away on a long trip and then he sent people to come back and get a portion of the harvest. They beat him up and stoned him and killed him. You remember all that? And then last, who did he send? His son. He said, I'm going to send my son. I hope they'll respect him. But when they saw his son coming, they what? They killed him. Then the king became enraged and devastated them. Do you remember? In other words, he kept being patient all the way until they killed his son. So what was Jesus saying? Listen, God has been patient with you for so many millennia. And you know what? Now you're about to kill the son. You're about to kill me. And you know what my dad's going to do? He's going to tear you apart. That's what we're reading. Now, one side note. He mentioned a couple characters in the Bible. One you're familiar with, I assume. One you're not. He said everywhere from the blood of Abel. You guys remember Cain and Abel? So it's Adam and Eve's kids. Uh, why is he a martyr? He's actually the first martyr in scripture. Why? Because he's the total good guy. You remember he did everything right. And then his brother, what killed him? I mean, Cain killed him. So he's the first martyr and interesting in the Hebrew Bible. Genesis is the first book, just like ours. But what's fascinating is Zechariah, the other guy he mentioned that was murdered between the temple or in the temple area is actually in second Chronicles. You go, I don't get that. Why did he cite that random dude? Well, in the Hebrew Bible, their canon is organized differently. First book is Genesis. Last book is, guess what? Second Chronicles. So it was the first martyr and the last martyr in the Hebrew Old Testament. That's why he was making that point. One weird thing, though, the Zechariah that was murdered in Second Chronicles isn't the son of Berechiah. That's what's weird. We don't have time to get into it, but the son of Berechiah is the Zechariah of the book right before Malachi, which is a little bit bizarre. And there's a lot of explanation that goes into that. But the idea was he was just merely trying to say that has always been your pattern of behavior. You've always killed and you're going to kill me too. He moves forward and says the most powerful part in this whole passage. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, verse 37, you who kill the prophets and stone those who sent you. How often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. But you were not willing. You understand what is what is God's heart towards the Jewish people? Super soft. God is crying out to the Jewish people. I love you. I want to protect you. I'm your deliverer. I'm the one that wants to rescue you. Why won't you come to me? 
Why won't you allow me to protect you? Why won't you allow me to love on you? Why won't you allow me to shield you? I am your fortress. I am your God. Why do you consistently resist me? Why must it be this way? Why must it be judgment? You understand the word woe all those times. Woe to you Pharisees. Woe to you experts of the law. That word woe is a complicated word. It matches up two key emotions. One is judgment and righteous anger. But the other one is sorrow. It's the same word that's used when someone dies that you love. It's as if Jesus is crying out, I am undone inside. What is wrong with you people? I love you so badly. Why won't you listen to me? See, we think of all this as harsh. His heart is breaking. And is he angry at the leaders for leading the people astray? Yes, he is. Are we glad that he's angry? I don't know. Do you ever need a protector? Isn't it nice sometimes when someone runs to your defense? Isn't it nice when God just doesn't always let the bad guy win? Isn't it nice when Jesus comes unhinged on somebody and says, quit hurting my people, knock it off. You start feeling like you want to cheer. Yeah, go get him, Jesus. Right? Unless he's talking about you. Look, your house has left you desolate. See, in Jesus' mind, he's already seen the sack of Jerusalem that's coming in 35 years. He said, you're done. Leadership, you're done. Step down. I'm taking over. For I tell you, you will not see me again in mass until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. When's that going to be? The return of Jesus Christ. When's that going to happen? End of the world. When's that going to happen? That's what next week is about. Oh, that's called a teaser. All right. Here's the deal. (laughs) Just trying to lure you back in like a horrible leader. All right. Here's the deal. We need to realize that these leaders were challenged and held accountable for being selfish. The fill in the blank on your sheet is what? A selfish shepherd can kill a flock. That's the bottom line. If you're self-absorbed and it's all about you and building your kingdom, you're going to desolate people. The Pharisees, the leaders, the experts of the law, the scribes, all those guys were totally self-absorbed. It was about building their own kingdom and people die. Oh, will we be selfless? Will we be different leaders? To where those that are under our care, we seek to promote them and lead them towards Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you, Lord, for showing us in your word that you have a protective and a loving and a guiding heart. Lord, may we submit to you. May we love you and love those that you have given us to. And Father, for all of us are leaders in some way, shape or form, and we want to be great ones. We want to be ones that sacrifice ourselves and pour ourselves out as a drink offering before you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.